Welcome this week to our Summer Together podcast. I'm Tommy Williams here at St. Paul's with Jack Levison from Perkins. Hey, Jack. Um, good to have you uh, with us again. Wonderful to be here. Uh, Jack uh, teaches Old Testament and Hebrew at, at Perkins School of Theology at SMU in Dallas, and so we've enjoyed these conversations each week walking through the book of Genesis uh, with Jack's um, expertise in the field, and uh, it's been great to, to join with you uh, who are listening. So we're walking through Genesis there again, and we left off with Jacob last week, and Jacob um, was journeying towards Haran and, uh, and got stopped in this place uh, where he has that dream, and we talked about the ladder to heaven and, uh, and the, the little song from Sunday school we learned about Jacob's ladder, and um, Jacob journeys on. Uh, so Jacob continues to journey on, and all along a while that journey, uh, coming towards chapter 28 and, and then 29, uh, Jacob encounters uh, Laban, who has two daughters in Leah and, and Rachel. And um, they develop, uh, Jacob, an affection for Laban and Laban Mutual. And so he meets uh, the two daughters, uh, and he falls in love, with, really, with Rachel, one of those uh, daughters. And, um, and so Jacob starts hanging out, uh, hanging out longer, right, because uh, he wants to marry uh, <laughs> Rachel. And there's a little work required in that. And so... Uh, he works, uh, Laban asks Jacob to work for seven years, uh, and then there's a little more deceit. We've seen deceit as one of the uh, themes in Genesis, and there's some deceit here on Laban's part. Um, do you want to pick it up there from Jack, uh, from there, Jack? Yeah, do you want to go back to the beginning of the story then? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll pick it up. So, um, uh, again, deceit is the means through which God... It allows the world to be fruitful and multiply, a ever and always deceit uh, in Genesis. So I, I think it's important here, before we get to the lectionary text for today, 29, 15 to 28, the background, as you said, Tommy, is that they're, um, he's en route to Haran, and he actually meets people who are from there. So, And Haran, again, is like, you know, Babylonia or something, very presumably very far to the east, um, where uh, Abraham and Sarah and Lot come from. And so he's absolutely thrilled to meet these people from Haran, and there just happens to be the daughter Rachel coming with the sheep. Yeah. But again, the action in Genesis often takes place at a well. So very often you meet your wife at a well. Yeah, and so I mean, there's this isn't uh, this isn't happenstance. I mean, you have the water of the womb, you have the water of the well, you have all sorts of interactions and resonances with water, not least survival. And this happens to be a particular well with a big stone. And so, interestingly enough, um, Laban, you know, Laban seems to be a really upright guy here. So in verse 13, when Laban heard the news about his sister's son, Rebekah's son, Jacob, he ran to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you're my bone and my flesh. It's like Genesis, right. bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You are my family. So Jacob stayed with him for a month. So your first impression of Laban here is really positive. Yes, the hospitality we've learned about earlier in Genesis. Exactly. The immediate connection with, uh, with an outsider. And that's what makes Genesis so powerful. There is no 
good and evil separate from one another. In the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 2, it says something to the effect of, in the place of injustice, I found evil. In the place of evil, I found justice. And we are all a mix of good and evil. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I don't know if uh, people are too familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were discovered in 1947, a big right. archaeological find. There's a section in the main text called the community rule, the teaching on the two spirits. And it basically says, we have within us two spirits which vie for one another. They fight one another. The rabbis called this the two inclinations. The Jewish rabbis talked about the two inclinations. And where they got this from is from Genesis 2-7, where it says, and God made Adam. And the Hebrew is, vi, I, I'm actually on target here. We'll come back to this text sure. in a minute. Vai Yitzer. And this is written with two yods, two y's. Yitzer. It's actually written long. And the rabbi said those two yods, ya, ya, in the verb, and God formed Adam, humankind, those two yods are the two first two letters of Yetzer, inclination. So when God formed Adam, the Hebrew has the long form that has the two Y's in it, if you made that into English, Yetzer. God put two inclinations into us, and they fight together. Did that make sense? Yeah. It's based on the long reading of Genesis 2-7 in the creation of Adam, the two Yetzarim, the two inclinations. For the Dead Sea Scrolls, it's the two spirits that okay. are in each of us. Okay. But what we get in Genesis is people who clearly have both and in them. People like us. Sure. There is no one wholly good. There is no one wholly evil. We should not... Uh, demonize one and idealize the other. We are all a mixture. Laban is that perfect mixture of altruism and greed. Right. Sounds like a human being to me. <laughs> Very much like an Adam of Genesis 2, made with yeah. two inclinations that war with each other. Right. And we see him with both. Right. And he's got two daughters here for whom he, he loves and desires... Um, uh, the best. I mean, if we were to give him uh, give him some credit here, and so he's warring with these inclinations, and yeah. and uh, pretty seriously. In fact, you know, so you know, this this wonderful story. Um, Jacob served uh, seven years to be able to marry Rachel. Right. The younger daughter. Oh, we're back to firstborn. Leah is the older sister. Rachel is the younger sister. Jacob, who usurped the older brother's prerogative from his brother Esau, he comes falls in love. He exactly. He comes back around it on Jacob. Bites him in the butt. There's no doubt about it. It comes to bite him. And that's what makes this story humorous. The whole time we're watching Jacob serve for Rachel, and he's stolen the birthright. Now Laban comes along. And on the night of the wedding, after seven years of work, though it's the sweetest thing in, in verse 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. We'll come back to that. But they, um, he works for seven years, and of the night of the wedding, the veiled bride goes into the tent, and Jacob has sex with her, marrying her. 
and the next morning realize, oh my gosh, it's Leah. It's not Rachel. And Laban says, and so Jacob says, didn't I serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? Seven years. And Laban says, well, in our country, you don't give the younger before the older. You think he could have told him that seven years seven ago, years right? Seven years earlier, but the whole irony is he stole it from Esau twice. Right. Now he gets bit by the same kind of deceit. That's right. The uncle deceives the nephew who was the master deceiver. The deceiver becomes the deceived, and so he has to work another seven years in order to marry Rachel. So it's a very humorous and powerful, ironic story ironic. of this. Yeah. Um, going, back, going back for a minute to the love he had for her, so it seemed like a few days. Remember we talked about the story of Abraham and Isaac, how you don't know what motivates Abraham. You know, right. is, it, right. is he lying? The two of us will come back together. Is he hopeful? The two of us will come back together. Is he absolutely confident the two of us will come back together? Mm. Which is it? And you never know. Right. You're standing outside watching the two of them walk along together. And so you have no inside views of the characters at all. In this story, you actually have a lot of inside views of the motivations of the characters. You know that Jacob is serving, and it doesn't seem long because he's in love. But then also later on, you'll learn about the jealousy that Rachel has for Leah and even Leah for Rachel. The two sisters will have jealousy for each other because of children bearing and not bearing children. Right. So this story is very different from Genesis 22. This story you get inside the characters yeah. and you actually know what motivates them. It's a very different kind of storytelling yeah. from Genesis 22. Yeah, so I wonder why the those composing these stories, telling these stories along the way, why that was so important here uh, to tell it this way. And I don't know. Yeah. Sweet touches. I mean, he worked seven years and it was like a few days because he loved her. Yeah, that's romantic and yeah, I mean, really like, lovely. And Yeah. Of course, he wasn't led on the inside of the rules here. Uh, the, the, the rules inherent, I mean, come on. I, it would have been nice to know that in the beginning. but it, you know. That's not Laban's way because Laban is not straightforward. And remember when we first met Laban, we'll go back all the way, yes. it was with Rebecca. He was Rebecca's brother. Right. And when does he first become warming up to Isaac's servant? When Isaac's servant gives all these presents. He sees the nose ring and the ears rings and the bracelets. And, and Laban knows this is someone to show hospitality to. That may be selling Laban short, but I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. He has always got an eye toward what's in it for him. There again, it's a human story, isn't it? Yeah, with, like story. you said, with all of the, both inclinations at work, both self-interest and that kind of inclination towards self-interest, the care for my immediate family, my daughters, me, livelihood, and also uh, there's goodness there in the way that he welcomes Jacob, includes Jacob into his family. Has Jacob as a part of the workforce there? Seems to be genuine love, genuine family feeling, affection, and that kind of thing. But anybody who's been in a family knows that it's not all just affection, and it's generally not all just 
self-absorption. It's usually that disconcerting, difficult blend of the two. You know, we talked last week about, <clears throat> about trying to find where God shows up in these stories, or at least where God visibly shows up in the stories. Uh, and it's hard uh, here for a little while to know. Uh, the Lord, Yahweh, does not sort of insert in here. We're just listening to the story, reading this story about Rachel and Leah and Jacob and Laban and the back and forth about betrothing and all the rest of it. But a little bit beyond where the lectionary goes uh, for that week, um, it drops in verse 31, and the Lord yeah. sort of jumps in. Uh, so let's flesh out the picture a little bit for the listeners. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son named Reuben, and so on. Um, so here the Lord, we get an explicit um, moment where God inserts into the story, whereas before we didn't see so much. Yeah, and, and God does a lot of opening and closing wombs in these stories. It's kind of a difficult thing for us uh -huh. um, to understand how this works. And I mean, I think it's lovely when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, the Lord opened her womb. It doesn't always work that way. No, it does not. Um, uh, but in this case, uh, there is a, a sense of divine balance here. If she's not loved, she will at least bear children. Rachel is deeply loved. She has her husband's love. She is not blessed with children in this story. But it's very difficult to know what to do with these stories. Yeah, it really, really is um, to know uh, what to do with these stories like this. Though I will say, and I, as I was preparing for this, I got such a kick out of what happens after the lectionary ends. Yes. Because remember, the whole of this is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's what Genesis is about. We are going to be a blessing to the nations and the nations will bless themselves in us because we're going to be filling the earth with God's people. Well, then in, and let's see if I can do this clearly, in Genesis 29 verses 31, to 35, the Lord gives Leah, I think, three sons. That's right. And she says, now this time my husband will be joined to me because I've borne him three sons. It never really happens. Jacob is never joined to her because she gives him sons. But then in the next paragraph, which is chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. Here's one of those inside views that you don't get in some other chapters. She envied her sister. So she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Well, Jacob became really angry with Rachel. They're both frustrated. I mean, they're both, they both want children. They love one another. And they yeah. want children. So he gets angry with Rachel and says, who am I? Am I in the place of God? Who's withheld the fruit from your womb? Fair enough. He can't do anything about it. Then she said, okay. She takes a page from the Abraham and Sarah story right. and gives Jacob her maid, Bilhah. She says, here's my maid, Bilhah. Go into her. She'll bear upon my knees that I too may have children through her. And as a matter of fact, Bilhah 
has children and Rachel is relieved because Bilhah had children. Okay, so let's take a step back. Yep. Leah had three sons but is still unloved. Right. Rachel turns jealous of Leah for having three sons even though she's loved. She can't have the sons, so she gives her the maid Bilhah. Next paragraph, chapter 30, verse 9, Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children. Now, Leah can't have any more children, so she took her maid, Zilpah, and gave her to Jacob as a wife. So it's kind of funny, and it's really sad all at once. It's tragic. And they have a child, and so Leah is happy with that. Now, then... In 30, 14 to 21, um, Reuben, one of the sons, has mandrake cakes in the field or something. I don't He's know what a mandrake is. He's one of the sons is. by Leah. He's one of the sons, thank you, because I couldn't remember, <laughs> by Leah. So Rachel said to Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, hey, why would I give you mandrakes? Is it a small matter to me that you took away my husband? I had Jacob first, and you took him away, and he loves you. You're not getting, we could curse here, you're not getting a single mandrake out of me. So let's have to remember mandrake next time you want to say the other thing. Yes, next time you, you want to say mandrake. Mandrake. No mandrakes for you. And so what, what happens is Rachel said, okay, then you can have sex with Jacob again if you give me your son's mandrakes. Now they're trading mandrakes for sex. So we got bowls of soup for birthrights. We've got mandrakes for relationships. You can call it relationships. You're a pastor. I'm a professor for sex. So. Okay? And God heeded Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And they're happy about that. Then... <laughs> They have more sons. Then go down another paragraph into verse 22. Then God, oops, remembered Rachel. And God heeded her and opened her womb. She conceived a bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named his son Joseph, saying, may the Lord add to me another son. The, the name Joseph means to continue or to add. Joseph, and there's lots of plays on this in the Joseph story. Now, when Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, send me away. Whew. He's had enough of all this. He's had sex with so many people. This is really funny and tragic all at once. What is the purpose of Genesis? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But it doesn't come easy. And so you have jealousy and anger and vengefulness. So sex with Leah produces children. Sex with Rachel doesn't produce children children. Sex with Rachel's maid produces children. Sex with Leah's maid produces children. Sex with Leah produces children again for the mandrakes. And then sex with Rachel produces children. Finally. At which time Jacob says, let me out of here. That's right. This is, uh, yeah. Right, because finally Rachel is able to produce children. Jake, we should say, you know, Jacob and Rachel together are able to produce a child. Right? And that child is Joseph. Yes. yes. But right. there is a frenzy, right? There's a frenzy of sexual activity with the wives, with the maids, with the wives again. And the tragedy is it's all fueled by jealousy. And it's all fueled by 
rivalry. Why'd you take my husband away? So even though it's put in the guise of sex, clearly sex here is masking or evincing the jealousy, the sadness, the lack of love that is characteristic of Jacob, Leah, and Esau, which is occasioned by Laban's deceit. I was going to say, let's go all the way back to Laban, because here we began the story today with something of purity, right? Jacob comes upon this this family and they have all this affection for each other and then he falls in love with the daughter Rachel and Laban Rachel's father seems so wonderful and so that could have been so simple maybe <laughs> it could have been so simple right Jacob and Rachel and yet Laban inserts himself in deceit for a whole host of reasons and and then now this domino of all the things you mentioned, jealousy, resentment, sadness, loss. And sex, 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 yeah, sex. Yeah, is the, is the Paragraph after thing. paragraph yeah. of ill-motivated sexual encounters with yeah. Jacob. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it starts with Laban, but it really doesn't start with Laban. It really starts with Jacob. Back farther. Back farther when Jacob takes on the prerogatives of the firstborn, Laban says... I had to give you the firstborn. I had to give you Leah. I couldn't give you Rachel. So it's all tied and knotted up. Yeah. You know what the crazy thing is? And this is what amazes is that in all of this craziness, in all of the jealousy, in all of the being unloved, in all of the not having children and then having children, in all of the giving Jacob a maid, even though it didn't go well for Abraham, the grandfather, with Hagar. I mean, that never worked. Despite all of that, what this does is it makes them fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth. They are fulfilling in the ugliest, filthiest, most poorly motivated way the promise of God, the blessing of God, the command of God to fill the earth. And that's the amazing story is that somehow... The earth is filled, even for all the wrong reasons, the earth is filled. And it's true that in the very beginning, there was a promise made to Abraham and Sarah, I will give you a child, and I will, I will bless your family and make your name great, and all the rest of it. And all of Genesis are these sort of detours off into not trusting that promise from God, and finding other ways to fulfill that commandment, to be fruitful and multiply. And at the end of the story, or where we are now, multiplication is happening. Right? Yeah. Uh, but it's been through this meandering in and out of the intentions of God, the promises of God. I will do it. We will do this together. And there's this constant kind of doing it God's way and finding another way. All right. Well, thank you. We'll pick it up next week.